Howdy, y'all! This episode of SOS Podcast is sponsored by the Bijou Theater in downtown Knoxville, with upcoming events like the Banff Mountain Film Festival, featuring three nights of short films and stories of adventure and exploration from around the world. That's March 13th through 15th at the Bijou. Also, on April 8th, the Bijou Theater will host viral comedy sensation Pinky Patel. And finally, on April 13th, an evening with comedy legend David Cross, live and in person at the Bijou Theater. For tickets and more, visit knoxbijou.org. It's knoxbijou.org. All right, it's podcast time. We're doing the podcast. I think you're the first person who's ever put them on right. Oh, really? Yeah, everybody's it- every, everybody does this for like, looks for the L and the R, and I'm like, chord goes on the left. Like that's the beginning of every podcast. It's chord uh, on the left. I was a DJ on the rock for a really long time. So you got yeah. it. Yeah, but it's funny. I never, I almost never used headphones. Really? Yeah. Well, radio is weird because you are live, and I would get two in my head. If in a lot, I don't know. It was weird. It's weird on radio because you're talking to yourself or you're talking to other people, but you're by yourself and you don't have any of like the back and forth interaction. Yeah. So it's you really didn't weird. have a, a like a co-host or anything? I did. Well, sometimes I did. Okay. Uh, I did a specialty show for a while with uh, Katie Cawthon, who's at DBX now. I love Katie. That was awesome. We had the best time. But then I like to get there. I had I think it was like the five or six a.m. morning shift and you're just like dead and like trying to talk to people that, you know, are driving to work. And you're just like, is this is anybody out there? Is this resonating? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? Is it like with the rock? I've had Benny Smith on and uh, he was uh, he's awesome because he lives and breathes, you know, lives and breathes it. Love knows everything there is to know about radio and about the university uh, and all that. But it, it's interesting with radio because. Like, do you know how many people are listening? Can you tell? No. Especially with something like The Rock. Yeah. The worst is like, because, you know, you'll you'll do promos during your shift and you'll have giveaways and you'll ask people to call in. And like, sometimes you get really ambitious and you're like, the fourth caller will win a pair of tickets to X, Y, and Z. And you don't get one call. <laughs> so like the next time you're like, the first caller is getting 20 <laughs> tickets over the next six months. Call now. Uh. Cat, uh, Cat Torbett that works at at Lock and Key was telling me about uh, about when she used to work at the radio station. They had prize pigs. Do you oh. know what prize pigs are? Oh, the people that just call in constantly and win all yes. the prizes. Yes, and like, yeah, there are definitely know. a few of those. Yeah, in you, this town. <laughs> <laughs> like you, they, they get to know the radio station people, the, yeah. the the staff at the station. Yeah, and then you know they win concert tickets to you know whatever every now and then. But then you know. Every now and then they might win a PT Cruiser. <laughs> At best, maybe. <Yeah. laughs> a model PT Cruiser. Yes, yeah, like a yeah. scale uh, 50 to 1 model yeah. of a PT Cruiser. They're definitely, I didn't realize that prize pig was the term for uh, 
such individual, but I love that. That's amazing. It rolled off her tongue too. She's like, yeah, we used to have this prize pig at the radio station. I was like, what is that? I was like, is it a piggy bank? Like, I, I can I can take a guess as to who that person might be. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I, think even... there's, I think there's a number one prize pig in Knoxville. Really? Sure. Yeah, I'm okay. not, not going to divulge. Uh, yeah, now I'm going to do my research. <laughs> uh, okay, so your your title at the at the uh, Bijou. Is... I am the executive director. Okay. Of the theater. So, like, is that is Becky Hancock the uh, yes. Tennessee Theater's counterpart? Yes, to exactly. You? Okay. Yeah. I did some work with the Tennessee Theater a while back and worked with her. She was great, and it was it's awesome to see everybody's passion for those yeah. for those rooms. One hundred percent, and the theaters are. So intertwined. Um, and we have a great working relationship with the Tennessee. We even have some shared staff. We used to have the same management company until a couple of years ago. But Becky and I are really close. And it's so amazing that Knoxville has not only one, but two historic theaters. And they're so complimentary of each other, um, just based on their vibe and their sizes. And I can't tell you how nice it is to have Becky a block away. And whenever I'm like faced with a challenge that I need to bounce something off of somebody, I can just call her and she knows exactly what kind of shoes I'm in. <laughs> can yeah. give really good advice and vice versa. Yeah, I didn't think about that. If you if you were the only theater in town, you wouldn't have a yeah. have a I guess a mentor type. Right. Kind of stuck in a vacuum and you sometimes you have to make really lofty decisions and it's nice to have somebody to talk through that with. How long have you been there? Let's see. I've been at the Bijou for a little over seven years. Wow. Um, but I started at AC Entertainment in April of 2010. Um, started in the war room as kind of like the office gopher, literally making coffee and taking out recycling, running errands, <laughs> and then transitioned into the booking department as an assistant and eventually became a talent buyer. So I was doing all the programming for the Bijou um, and gradually shifted down to operations at the theater. I am, I don't know, I've had Ashley Caps on before and, and I, because I wanted to run through his whole, right. you know, yeah. uh, uh, all the work he's ever done, uh, I didn't get, really get to dig into AC with him, but I'm so fascinated with AC Entertainment yes. and how it started and how it grew and I guess shrank and right. grew and shrank and then, yeah. and then yeah. sold. And then it's kind of like an accordion. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but uh, another name I hear a lot is Ted Heinig. Mm -hmm. Is that somebody that you worked with if you were buying and I did. So he was the vice president of the booking department. He specialized in larger venues, larger uh, theaters, arenas, coliseums. Um, and when I was in the booking department, I focused more on clubs and small theaters. Okay. So what were some of those rooms when you started? You said 2010? Yeah, 2010. So at that time, we were definitely doing the Orange Peel. Yeah. We were doing the Bijou. Uh, we were do so we exclusively purchased talent for those rooms. Mm. We were also doing what's called buy-sell in other rooms where we would go into other markets like Charlotte or um, Lexington or Nashville and buy a show uh, put it in a room that someone else ran, like the Cannery. We would do shows a lot, the Ryman. Mm -hmm. um, and then while I was there, we took on Marathon Music Works, Exit In, wow. uh, Minglewood Hall in Memphis, Track 29 in Chattanooga, RIP. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's exciting. It was really fun. So when you do a buy-sell situation, are you taking on all of the risk as a, as a buyer? Yeah, you are. So you're renting the room from whoever owns the club or the theater. That's a and fixed cost, yeah, I'm you, sure. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I, uh, yep. And uh, you're 
telling the artists that you're guaranteeing them a certain amount of money to play the show. And it's kind of like investment banking. It's definitely a gamble. You're rolling the dice, hoping, you know, you know what your break-even point is, how many tickets you need to sell at what price to cover all your costs and hopefully make some money. Hmm. Sometimes you lose some money. Sometimes you break even. Sometimes it's a huge payday. You just never really know. But yeah. you do your best to educate yourself and put yourself in a good situation. So there are some situations where you're where you're not certain if you're going to be able to to yeah. break even. I'll never forget um, one of the worst losses we actually had when I was at AC was the weekend. No way. At Marathon Music Works. Why? Wow. How did that happen? It was just before he before he popped. He was like underground for a while. And I had never heard of him. And then the agent, you know, reached out to us like, hey, I've got this artist who wants to play Nashville. Send me your best offer. And so we dug in and we're like, this guy, what did the kids say? Slaps. <laughs> this guy slaps. <laughs> um, and we made, I don't even think it was that aggressive of an offer, but it just did not sell any tickets. And of course really? now he's, yeah. So that's the other thing is like timing with an artist is everything. I noticed one time, I loved uh, Galactic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always... I don't know. They were kind of like, they were the ones who opened my eyes to music. It was after, I guess I had, maybe I'd seen him at Bonnaroo once and thought it was amazing that, you know, this like this jazz kind of jazzy, yeah, you know, quintet was, was making, making noise like that. I'd never, never been around like that jazz you can dance to and get kind of crazy. Yeah. And uh, so I, I saw them any chance I could get, but I remember once they played the, they played the Bijou Theater, and and uh, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be crazy packed, sold out. But widespread panic had done one of their three night runs mm. at the, at the, Tennessee Theater early yeah. that week, and I guess I mean I think I went to a couple of those shows too, but I guess it just kind of wipes out your zapped out the yeah people people's willingness to go. You know, there are very few people who probably went to all four of those shows. Right. Yes. And I just remember the Galactic show be, being not as, you know, not what I expected. Right. Because I had seen him at the Orange Peel a couple of years before and it was packed. Yeah. 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 You just don't really know. And that's the other thing, like with market traffic, you can book a show and not realize like what somebody else has going on down the street. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, well, this show just confirmed one on sale and that's probably going to decimate the show. But I feel like in general, especially these days, a rising tide kind of raises all ships. Mm -hmm. um, I would say maybe back in like 2010, or, you know, that era, it was unthinkable that you could have three or four sold out venues on a single night. And now that happens all the time. In, in Knoxville? Yeah, between the Mill and Mine and the Tennessee and the Bijou, even sometimes Thompson Bowling or... Yeah. Uh, the auditorium. So it's, it's, I feel like the appetite for live music has dramatically increased over the years, which is amazing. What do you attribute that to? I think music is more accessible than ever to people, like in, in different formats outside of live. You know, you're, you're being served more um, content on social media and YouTube and Spotify. Um, so you're probably finding out about a lot more artists than you ever could before. And I think like, especially now out of the pandemic, it's not just the live music experience of seeing the artist, but having that communal experience with your, with, you know, your fellow Knoxvillians and yeah. beyond. Um, I think people have really missed that a lot and are embracing that in a huge way now. I found it interesting since 
you know, I'm sure you remember Napster and when, yeah. when you know, when music became free. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to people who, to, to the listeners, for yeah. a lot of people, that's, you know. It might just cost you a couple computer vi- viruses. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but now, I mean, even Spotify, I know that you're getting served ads, but, you know, you can listen to music for the rest of your life and not pay a single dollar for yeah. it. Listen to music on demand. Yeah. And so... I've wondered if business models of artists have changed to to kind of correct for that because you look at bands like Fish is a good example. Mm. Never sold a ton of albums. They sell out 25,000, you know, person amphitheaters all all summer. Yeah. All over the country. And they never relied on record Recordings. sales. Yeah to make a living and they were just kind of well positioned for what happened in the music industry. So I wonder if you see that bands are specific, their artists are specifically focusing on their live music experience more than they were, uh, you know, 20 years ago when they were focusing more on and relying more on record sales to make a living. I think so. I think like fish falls under that kind of like vibey artist. Like kind of like widespread. It's mm-hmm. like they have this following. Like people who love fish will go on fish tour with sure. them. They'll go on twenty dates and follow them around the country. And it's like this. It's this whole vibe. It's this whole culture um, that they've created and fostered and embraced. And that's like its own little subset of the live music community. I think. Sure. Uh, and then you see, like, you know. Taylor Swift is doing both, obviously. Right. Yeah. Uh, she's got like the shock and awe factor. Like you don't know what she's going to do, but you know it's going to be a showstopper. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And then what? Garth Brooks had to add like three uh, three shows to his, to, or maybe it was Elton John. Uh, whoever did the, I think both of them have done Thompson Bowling runs over the last five years or so. Uh, but, you know, those shows are huge too. And those yeah. are just huge followings as well probably a little more accessible than the cult following that you know fish has but the whole jam band thing too is interesting because you know they can they play a different show every night right and so you people do go on tour with them because they don't ever see the same show twice yeah and so that's kind of a business model that you know if you if you sell twenty five thousand tickets a night and ten thousand are the same people from the <laughs> night before like that sounds like a pretty sweet pretty sweet uh business model for yeah, a band that's true so uh is the bijou haunted oh 100 percent. really you don't know this i mean i I'm kind of a skeptic when it comes to paranormal uh, you just need activity. To, you need to come over for late night. After Big Ears, I swear, I don't know what it is about Big Ears. It brings out the spirits. They become particularly active, like in the early, like late night, like three to four a.m. Following a Big Ears, that doesn't surprise me. Performance day. Um, it's like all the resonation, I suppose, is rattling them out of there. Why are you at the Bijou at three a.m. during Big Ears? Are there still shows going? Well, on? you're wrapping up the day. Sometimes, I mean, shows will go until 1, 1.30. Wow. And then you got to load them out and get everything cleaned up and ready for 8 a.m. the next day, a couple hours. Oh, man. But yeah. I bet that's a busy time for you. It is. But it's always so much fun. It is. It's like, a, it's like packing an entire month's worth of music into four days. Mm. But luckily, our team, our team has really grown a lot 
in the last 18 months. So it's going to be a lot easier for everybody to split up the day and share the burden and enjoy it even more. I actually got to, uh, got to go backstage at the Bijou for the first time. I've always been there as a, a patron and, uh, I shot the, uh, Mike McGill Christmas spectacular for him. Oh, nice. And it was, it was, you know, that's always a sweet time. All the, just yeah. kind of a family reunion. It is. I love Mike. Uh, he spoke very highly of you on the podcast. <laughs> he was so excited the first time that, uh, I guess you guys had offered him the room. Um, he just couldn't have been more, more gracious and so grateful for you in particular named, Aww. named you on the, on the podcast about, you know, the opportunity. He was so grateful for the opportunity. Aww. Well, it's just been so amazing to see that particular event grow mm-hmm. so much to become like this annual tradition. I think this was the 10th year yeah. that he's done it. Um, and it's such a good cause too. And it just feels good all around. It really is. A, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a good cause, but still a kind of edgy rocking, yeah. you know? Yeah. I like how he does, uh, he's on these costume changes too, where like at first he comes out as like, you know, the traditional jolly yeah. Santa. And then he switches into like sexy suave Santa with like the silk and he's a character. He's a hoot. If you don't he know is. Mike McGill, you're messing up. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, Will Wright, uh, mentioned something and I don't remember if he said it at the, at the at the Christmas Spectacular or not, but he's like, you know, I've played on stages all over the world and like, I've never played this room before. And it means Mm. so much to me to be here and to be in this, you know, this obviously a stage that has been shared with many, many, many artists over the years. And it's very important, very important room to our music scene. Like you said, it kind of fits a, it fits its, it's got its little piece of the puzzle where, you know, I, I guess other, other rooms really, Oh, what's 750? 750. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of right in that sweet right spot. The, yeah. 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 It's like right in that sweet spot where you can kind of catch emerging artists on their way up. Mm-hmm. Um, the Margot prices. Right. And the, exactly. And Sturgill's. And, yeah. Yeah. Sturgill, Chris Stapleton. Yeah. Sometimes you get really lucky and they come back for a special show like Isabel just did. Yeah. Two nights. I heard about that. That was amazing. How was that? Oh my God. It was just magical. <laughs> and then you kind of get like your mainstays that kind of stay at that Bijou level. Sometimes mm-hmm. they move up and go to the Tennessee or go to the uh, Thompson Bowling Arena. And then sometimes you catch them on the way back down. And that's yeah. not so bad either. <laughs> but it's very, you know, the Bijou lends a very special, intimate atmosphere for, for live music. And it was built in 1909. Um, so it was before speaker systems existed. So mm. everybody raves about the acoustics. Um, which are incredible. And it was just built to be very intimate. Like it really has great sight lines and um, the artists, that's the thing that they seem to love the most, especially comedians. It's a really great room for comedy because like you feel like you can really, like even in the very last row of the balcony, like you can see that person yeah, and kind of engage. Um, The sight lines are awesome. Sight lines are awesome. Yeah, it's really good. And you know, it it was built for live performance um, the Tennessee theater was built about 20 years later for, for movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of tell like just with the design and the architecture of the Bijou, it's, it's very cozy. Um, it's very understated. You really focus more on what's happening on stage versus like what's happening like, around the room. Um, 
Whereas like movies, you know, they don't draw you in. They, they take you into this fantasy land. Like it takes you out of your, your uh, like this moment. Suspension of disbelief. Exactly. And like, I feel like that's very representative of the, the Tennessee's uh, decor and architecture. It's like very fantastical, kind of like a dream. Yeah. I, th- I think it's fascinating. I want to get back to the, the Bijou being haunted. Oh, right. I'm yes, very interested ghosts. about yes, that. Yes, I'm sorry. But the, uh, no, that's, that's my fault. Uh, but the, uh, the Tennessee was built in 1928 or finished in 1928. Yes. Yeah. Had it not been completed in 1928, it may not even be there because of the stock market crash right. and, you know, a depression that yeah. quickly followed. Yeah. And so True. it's like, we're so, you know, we're, I honestly didn't know the Bijou was older until you told me that. 1907? Uh, 1909, 1909 opened. 1909. This, so it's okay. So this, this actually ties into the ghost. So now we're coming full circle. Great. All right, so if you're if you're standing outside the theater on Gay Street in Cumberland, you can see like the white stucco front part of the building. Mm-hmm. So that was originally a hotel that was built in 1816. Mm. It's the oldest commercial property in Knoxville still standing. Okay. Uh, thir- third oldest building in Knoxville still standing. Um, so it was a tavern. It was like the premier hotel of its time. It was back when Knoxville was on the western frontier of the country. Like no electricity, no running water. You know. Like, horse and buggy style yeah um during the civil war it, the hotel was taken over by the union army and it was converted into a hospital it was called the lamar house hotel and then it was converted into the lamar house hospital so thousands of men unfortunately perished in that building including general sanders it's the most famous death mm-hmm. yeah of fort sanders fame mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um he was mortally wounded in a battle taken to the hospital he died in the bridal suite and they actually concealed his death from his troops who were still fighting because they didn't want them to lose heart. Yeah. Um, I think they did win the battle. I might be wrong about that. And then yeah. they they uh, snuck his body out of the hospital under the cover of darkness and, and buried him in Market Square secretly. A real um, Hank Williams story. Yeah, yeah. So you know, also right across the street from the Andrew Johnson building where Hank Williams died, supposedly. So um, uh, General Sanders is buried in... Market Square. That's what, I, that's what I hear. Was there a market house there at the time? Because wasn't that wasn't the square a, an actual building? It was, but I don't know what the timings of that hmm. were. Might have been later. It may have just been a field, for all I know. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> I doubt it, but maybe. So, if paranormal activity yeah. exists, yes, yes, there is not a you know uh, a, a building that's probably more suited to have paranormal activity than a hospital where many, many, uh, many men and women perished. Perished. Yeah. Probably mostly men. Probably mostly men. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but then, um, I mean, so in nine, around the turn of the century, uh, a man bought the building. He like where the auditorium is now used to be a whole wing of the hotel and they used to have like grand balls and, Hmm. The full, the full schmagiggy. But they, he tore off the rear wing of the hotel and kind of plopped the auditorium onto the back of the existing building. Okay. So like half of the Bijou is 200 years old and the other half is 113 years old. So where the stage is, would is the younger part? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically where, with the stairs that you take up to the balcony, mm-hmm. it's like where those stairs start. That's kind of the dividing line, like the gallery. Like, I don't, if you ever go in the gallery where we sell artist merchandise, sure. you have to like go up a set of stairs and then go down a set of stairs. Yeah. That's like 
the weird mismatching of the buildings. Gotcha. Where they put them together and yeah. didn't quite get the elevation right, right in the, yeah. the drawings. And because when they built the auditorium onto the hotel, they still the hotel was still operating independently. So wow. Yeah, that's another kind of mind twister. Um, so the two buildings were never fully integrated. Actually, they're still not fully integrated. That's another story. How, for how so? Podcast. Like, do they are they owned by different people? No, it's okay. just like physically. Like, you can't. It's not easy to access one from the other. Interesting. You so can just a, put a door a, in and, and solve this whole problem. Well, we're working on that. Load bearing yeah, walls. There, you know? <laughs> there are so many spaces in that building that people don't even realize are sitting there. Um, like our our administrative offices are up on the third floor of the hotel, and then up on the fourth floor of the hotel above us, there is like. You have to see it to believe it, but in the seventies, when the hotel was being renovated, they ran the HVAC system through there. I've and, actually seen. That. Oh yes, yeah. So it's been like a time capsule. And in the seventies, when, well, I should say, like in the sixties, we're jumping ahead a couple of decades. But the the Bijou was eventually converted into a uh, movie house in the thirties. And then in the 60s, it was a porno house. It showed adult films. Yeah. So they did like uh, silent films, I guess. Or, yeah. Yeah. Know, like the Marks. And the talkies yeah. came along. Right. And, yeah. And the then, talkies. And then. And then the nudies. And then the nudies. <laughs> so people would go watch pornographic films in public. Yeah. Isn't that weird? There were drive-ins for pornographic films. I guess it's before the internet. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, exactly. <laughs> people got to get it somewhere. They're... <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure, like, if we were to replay one of the movies that they showed at the Bijou, I'm sure we would be so bored. I'm yeah. sure it was like so. Yeah, mundane. Yeah, like, for like, today's standards. I think I saw our elbow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did you see that knee? Yeah, Milky White. <laughs> but uh, the hotel at that time, I mean, it was like a transient flop house. Um, like if you've read Sutri by Cormac McCarthy, like a lot of the scenes that he describes um, actually happened in the Lamar House Hotel, and and the fourth floor was a brothel, so you could go you could go see your skin flick in the auditorium, and then go upstairs and you know that's vertical integration right there. I yeah, mean, you exactly. hit them at every single right. every single part of the that's process. Right. So. Um, yeah. Was so, that illegal? I guess it was, right? Oh, I'm sure it was. My understanding, I wasn't born during this time, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> my understanding is that whole south end of Gay Street was like the red light district of wow. Knoxville. And then like down by the river, it was like shantytown. Yeah. I mean, if you, uh, I tried to get through Sutri. It was yeah. a dense read yeah, for me. Yeah. The I, road was much easier. No Country for Old Men was much easier for me. Sutri was a tough read. Yeah. But it paints such a picture of just like... Yeah, just destitute drifters right. down by the shore cooking on, yeah. you know, <laughs> catching fish and cooking them on in trash cans in the cold. <laughs> like, oh, it sounds like it. It uh, anything near the river was kind of a rough and tumble spot. Yeah, a little shady. And come up to come up the hill shady. a little way to the right. red light district. Yeah, exactly. S- scrape a couple of dollars together and watch a film. Yeah. So the Bijou. I mean, it's just been so many different things over its lifetime. Um, another really kind of like, quote unquote, secret space of the theater. Like, you wouldn't really notice this if you're attending a show. But if you're standing on the stage and you look out, you actually notice that there's a, an additional balcony that's not yes. being used currently. So when they did build the Bijou and opened it in 1909, <clears throat> they decided that the Bijou was going to be the first racially integrated but segregated theater 
or business wow. in Knoxville. Let me guess. The white people got the good seats right, down low. Yeah, you got it. So yeah. they built that second balcony. When they were constructing the theater, they knew that that second balcony was going to be used to serve the African-American community. Mm. So they built it to be physically segregated from the rest of the building. There was a separate box office on Cumberland, separate entrance, separate staircase, separate bathrooms. Um, and then when we went through integration in the 60s, it just they couldn't really use it and it, you know everybody integrated in the same spaces so for that reason the balcony has still not been physically integrated into the rest of the building and so that's another one of the situations where like the whole building just kind of needs a very creative overhaul to merge all these pieces that have been parceled out over the last 200 plus years. It, it seems like I don't and know. an elevator, an elevator would be great. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. I bet. Yeah, I guess load in's not too bad from the side there. No, actually, we're really lucky in yeah. that regard. Uh, I, I feel like I've been on that. I, I've been up in like the 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 rafters. What it felt like the rafters at the Bijou and ended up in the in the third or the second balcony. Yeah. Is it is are there light? I feel like there's lights up there, and there's just kind of stuff that's yeah. Just, it, you couldn't sit up there right, right now. No, you can't sit up there now. Um, Do you have plans to get people sitting up there? Because it feels kind of small and tight. I feel like people were smaller back. Yeah, there. they definitely were. I would say like if there's one complaint we get about the Bijou experience is that how cramped the seats are. Oh. When the Bijou opened, the capacity was 1500, so it was twice oh, wow. what we have now. So even. We don't have the original seats today. Whenever they were put in, I can't say for sure, but we've exceeded that spacing need as well. So, mm, wow. Yeah. Bigger, more ample leg room and booty room are on the list. Of it, uh, it doesn't bother me. Things to do. Yeah. I, but that third, that, that, that third or the second balcony, the, the up top one, it seems like, seems yeah. like that you're really close to the roof up there. Yes, you are. Um, well, you're close to the ceiling. That's what I meant, the ceiling. Um, <clears throat> it's funny, like, this is true of the Tennessee, too. Like, the ceiling that you see in the auditorium is kind of a false ceiling. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a very large cavernous space above that ceiling before you hit the roof line. It's kind of crazy, actually. Yeah, um, I guess because it's all curved, especially the Tennessee. Yeah. And then you got, like, yeah. So, like, those lights, like, if you're at the Bijou and you'll see, like, those strips of lights on the auditorium ceiling... Mm -hmm. To change those, you have to climb this like 150 foot ladder on the stage up to this pin rail and then go up another set of stairs and then you're on top of the ceiling and then you have to get on. There's like insulation everywhere. It kind of looks like a winter wonderland. It's really bizarre. And then you pluck the light bulb out of the floor of that room and that is the ceiling of the auditorium. Wow. It's really strange. Is that Tom Bug's job? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> depends on if we have a facility manager on staff or not. If if you guys could have a mascot, I think he would be. A oh good my gosh, one. he totally uh, is, uh, and he's really good with ladders because he's the one that changes the marquees. Yeah. we still have you know the old analog marquee, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, do you have any? Uh, uh, just to 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 finish up the ghost part, do oh, you right. have any? Yes. Uh, do you have any uh, personal uh, repeat? Yeah, personal experiences or repeat encounters? Yeah. Well, I uh, I can't say I've had any repeat encounters. Okay, so you haven't like met anybody in, mm, from the from the other I, world. I I've definitely had some experiences, but I can't. Well, maybe okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what happened. 
All right. So my first week on the job at the Bijou, um, I was the assistant general manager. So Tom's assistant. And Tom's, a, Tom's the general manager of the Tennessee and the Bijou. Ah, okay. Um, so he's at the Bijou a lot for shows, but as far as like admin work during the day, he's mostly down the street at the Tennessee. So it was just me, Tom, and our technical director, Lee, at the time. And Lee was pretty much only there for the shows. So I was there by myself a lot. And it was fall. I was by myself. Uh, we don't have any restrooms on our office level. You have to go downstairs to the lobby to go to the bathroom. So oh, wow. I went to the bathroom on the gallery level, that level where we sell merch. Mm-hmm. And that bathroom is like right above the bistro. Um, and as soon as I walked into the bathroom, I was wearing this long cardigan and I felt two distinct tugs on the hem of my sweater. Mm-hmm, 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 and like, nope. I had to like compose myself and kind of pull it together and tell myself it's fine. You're okay. <laughs> Nothing's going to hurt you. You're safe. And, you know, ran back upstairs <laughs> and just kind of like put it out of my mind. And then I found out later that there had been a paranormal investigation of the BG before I'd started there. And they had deemed that women's restroom off of the gallery the most haunted space in the building. I'm like, oh, gosh. And so this was in October, maybe a year later, we, we become very popular with the with the news channels around Halloween because they want to get all of our ghost stories. And so I was talking to Martha, who runs the Bistro, and I was like, do you have any experiences that we can you know, share with these news people? And she was like, you know, every now and then I'll feel two tugs on the bottom of my shirt or sweater. And I no. like almost had a heart attack, like all the hair on my arm stood up and so we have this theory that maybe that's like a child, like trying to get your attention. Like, oh my gosh. Hey, hey. And um, for whatever reason, that same bathroom, you know, our, in each bathroom stall, we have these toilet paper holders and there's two rolls like on the actual, you know, like holder that you yeah. roll off. And then we've got two spares sitting on a shelf right above them. And every morning you come in and all the spares are on the ground. Every, every day. Every Pretty time much. you go in. Yeah. That's weird. So um, Mar. Martha had a, the same experience as you. Yeah. It's re- a repeated experience. Mm-hmm. And you had never told her about your no, experience? No, never. And that's never happened. That's only happened to me once with the tugging. But she said that it's happened to her quite a few times. In, in the bistro? or In, in the, the bistro. Yeah, which is directly below that bathroom. Ghosts don't care about neener, floors. Neener. No. Yeah, they go right walk through. right through that. Yeah. I, I think it's fascinating. Like, a few years ago, the Travel Channel decided that they were going to dig in deep to paranormal yeah. activity, and people are all about it. I'm sure yeah, they're nuts. Do Do you guys do the? Isn't there a ghost tour company in town? Um, we've done our own ghost tours. Uh, we usually do them every October. This past October, we had so many shows. We've been so crazy. Um, that we didn't literally did not have the dates to do ghost tours. But um, during the pandemic, when we were like searching for things that we could do, we hired these paranormal investigators. What are they called? The Wraith Chasers. Mm. And they live in Nashville. And they came over and did like, I'm not sure I feel entirely comfortable calling it a paranormal investigation, but I get, that's, that's essentially what it was. But they had these quote unquote instruments which could be as basic as like a cat toy, like a light up cat toy, mm-hmm. or they would turn on a radio to white noise or static. And you, in theory could hear the spirits communicating to you through the white noise. I don't know. 
You like, didn't buy it? It's it kind of like a magic show. It's kind of like a paranormal A little bit too show. much uh, a little, yeah, a little too much uh, exhibition yeah. to it more so than yeah. uh, Great guys. Science. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was listening to something the other day, and these guys were talking about having like some electromagnetic sensors. Mm-hmm. And like if the electromagnetic field changes, then the thing... I watched, off, tried yeah. to watch this Skinwalker Ranch thing about UFOs. Skinwalker. And, yeah, it's this ranch in New Mexico, and um, it's just like for you know years, it's been like a UFO and paranormal stuff. Animals show up dead for no reason, oh. with no visible marks on them, like oh. cows just dead. done. Yeah, yeah. and <clears throat> they're using all these instruments, and and I just I don't know, man. Like I don't know. I believe. You know, about half of what I see with my own eyes yeah. and, and none of what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know oh, I, I agree. Mean? Uh but I will say you and Martha having like these stories yeah. that line up, I mean, that's there's a lot of that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think most people that have spent any good amount of time in the building have had some kind of experience. Do you ever have any artists that mention anything yes. that come through and play? Um, Amos Lee. Is one that sticks out to me. He came in one morning and there was nobody else there. Opened up the stage door. He walked in to go to the green rooms on the other side of the stage. And then he came back out and he was like, who's that guy walking around in the second balcony? Uh, he's just kind of like wandering around up there. And I looked and I was like, there's there's nobody up there. And he's like, no, I just I just saw him walking around up there. And I was like, no, there's no, there's literally nobody. Else. I just, I just unset the alarm and unlocked the door and let you in. Like there's nobody else here. And he insisted that he saw someone walking around. Interesting. Um, when Wilco was here a couple of years ago and they, they were here for three days. They rehearsed one day and then did two shows. And since they were here for multiple days, they wanted overnight security to make sure that like no one stole their equipment or anything on stage. Right. So this poor guy <clears throat> had to spend every night on stage in near darkness and can't have all the auditorium lights on, um, watching this equipment sit there. And he had some wild stories about like the grid above the stage, which is very high up. He said he could hear heavy boots walking around up there. He said the stage lights would flicker off and on. Um, Dude, no, thank I can't you. confirm that, but that's pretty compelling. No, thank you. Yeah. That I, you could, I don't think you could, I don't think you could pay me to spend a night no. in a place that's supposed to be haunted. No, like that. But my my scariest experience it was it was after Big Years. It was like the Sunday. It was the last day. Um, we had all these dead cases and equipment lined up against the stage wall, and I was last one out. I was going to grab a, a bottle of water. It was pitch, pitch black. I'd turn, I'd turn the lights off already. I was going to go to the green room, grab a bottle of water on my way out, climbed up on the stage, and I heard this voice coming through some piece of equipment from one of the cases that nothing was battery-powered. Everything is, you know, needs to be hooked up to an, an electrical outlet to function. But through some piece of equipment, I heard on repeat, get out, get out, get out. And I, that was my, that was my most terrifying experience. And you still work there. I still work there. You won't catch me on stage at 4 a.m. by myself anymore, but yeah, that happened. That was probably the scariest. It, like I said, I'm, I, I don't believe in the paranormal stuff right away, but when you say stuff like that, I, know. I, I, I want nothing to do with that. I know. I wasn't a believer before I started working there, but now I 100% am. <laughs> <laughs> so have there been any acts that you have? Well, I guess I kind of want to understand a little bit now that you're, 
you know, moved from talent buying and programming rooms mm -hmm. at AC, and now you're at the Bijou full time. Are you still doing that part for the Bijou, or does yes, okay. more so now than ever, actually. Ah, so um, that's no longer farmed out to a company like well AC Entertainment. Yes and no. So during the pandemic, we used to have um, the Bijou didn't used to have any employees at all. So even when I was working at the Bijou up until March of 2021, I was an AC Entertainment employee contracted out to the Bijou. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the Bijou didn't have any of its own staff. Why it, is that? Well, at the time, like, well, the Bijou, the Bijou's had a hard time yeah, financially. I'm sure. Um, until the last couple of years, it's really taken a lot to figure out our, our role, um, and how best to serve our community and, and really kind of be profitable for ourselves. It's also a very expensive building to maintain, uh, you know, all those ghosts, but, um, <laughs> during the pandemic, we, our management agreement with, uh, AC Entertainment, well, I should say like right before the pandemic, AC Entertainment was sold to Live Nation. Mm. Um, and then we went into the pandemic and then we, things got very uncertain very quickly um, as far as like the future of live music, as far as our jobs. Um, yeah. Didn't Live Nation lay off 90% of their right. staff or something like that? Yes. And honestly, the only reason why I held on to my job is because the Bijou board of directors was reimbursing Live Nation for my salary. Hmm. Um, and then pretty much without having shows to book or shows to market, didn't really make sense to maintain the contract and everything kind of got turned on its head. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, I left Live Nation and was hired by the Bijou to be the executive director and figure out how to bounce back from the pandemic and we started looking at all of our options and decided to go in a different direction with our booking and marketing services. Mm -hmm. So um, we reached out to Jeff Whitworth, who lives in Asheville. He used to own uh, the Great Eagle. Yeah. Uh, he still books the Great Eagle. He books uh, several festivals and events in Asheville. And we just really hit it off. And we really just wanted, instead of kind of working with a, a larger company, there was a fear that the Bijou just wouldn't be a priority and we wouldn't, you know, get the services and the attention that we had become accustomed to when we were working with AC Entertainment. Sure. So um, we signed off with Jeff with Worthwhile Sounds and went from a kind of like a, a mid-sized AC Entertainment company to a huge global conglomerate to one guy <laughs> in Asheville. <laughs> and it has been probably one of the best decisions I think we've ever made. Really? Um, and especially like, you know, since I have the talent buying background, you know, we, we hop on the phone twice a week for at least an hour and kind of talk through all the offers that we want to submit, who we want to go after, who are white whales. We submitted a, a really big offer today that I am hoping and praying confirms. <laughs> um, so he and I are really working close together. He, he handles all of the communications with the agents and, and brings the artists to the table and we discuss them and kind of put our pro programmatic plan into place and he's been an absolute delight and i think i think the programming since we've started working with jeff has just been dynamite yeah rhett was kind of explaining 
the the uh, Rhett Talbert was uh, which what does she what's kind of her Rhett so Rhett um, also is an AC alum yeah so she was a social media manager at AC Entertainment up until the pandemic I'm telling you like once the pandemic hit it was just like I mean other than restaurants yeah no business was really. Right. Hit, I mean, it's decimated. Like live music. Yeah. It was the first thing to go down. It was the last thing to come back. Yeah. And a lot of the people that were in the live music and events industry either had to get really creative and resourceful, hmm. find an, an entirely new career path, or I don't even know what else. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to so, survive. So, so Rhett was a casualty of the pandemic? Uh, uh, no. Rhett was a like a very resourceful little weasel because <laughs> 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 i think she got furloughed i'm sorry i'm spilling your tea Rhett, but i think she got furloughed at from ac slash live nation and then we know once once you're in that situation you have no idea and like sure nobody you watch out no, for you yeah nobody wants to sit around and wait for a virus and a huge someone in la that you've never met before decide your future so yeah. Rhett, Rhett was really smart and started her side hustle doing independent marketing services and got scooped up by Lock and Key mm-hmm. and basically started an entire marketing suite for that company that I don't believe existed there before. I don't think it did either. She just like carved out this little niche for herself. Yeah. And so when we were um, getting going again, our shows started coming back and we didn't have marketing services from AC anymore. I had to figure out that piece and I tried to hire a full-time marketer, but a lot of the people that you could go to 18 months before had had moved on. They, sure. they had other jobs, other industries that they moved on to. And so I called up Brett and she was like, heck yeah. And we've been like nonstop ever since. So she does. She, so you outsource most of the marketing. Yeah. All of our show marketing. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and uh, probably the last like staffing operational piece of the puzzle we're about to fill. We actually just hired a new development communications director that's starting on Monday. Mm. His name is Christy. So she's going to be really instrumental. And in, Rhett doesn't, I mean, Rhett knows the music industry like backwards and forwards. But the Bijou is more than just a music venue. You know, it's mm. also, it's a nonprofit. Um, and we uh, need to do a better job of telling that story. And so gotcha. that's going to be Christy's charge and like working with Rhett to kind of integrate the Bijou story into our show marketing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm really excited. That is exciting. So another, the, the staff grows a little bit. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've gone from a staff of three that were contracted out yeah. to, I think we have 12 full-time employees now. Is, awesome. You said that you share Tom Bug with the, yeah. with the Tennessee. Is yeah. So is it the same 501c3 that owns both or no. that, that not owns but operates both of them it's different. no so yeah so tom also was a an ac employee and <laughs> so at the same time that we yeah i know it's it's, it's the the nucleus of everything yeah. in knoxville um so at the same time the tennessee theater went through their own shifts with their management structure they hired tom on full-time and then they lease out i think contractually we get like a third of tom book oh gotcha from the tennessee so yeah so what are uh, I've been to some very nice evenings mm. at the Bijou where I sat down and saw you know Yorma Kalkinen or however you say his name the hot tuna guy oh uh, okay yeah and like just an acoustic guitar yeah. and you know and, and then I've also seen like 
you know, back in college, like Sound Tribe Sector Nine, right? Which is oh an yeah, absolute melee. Yes. What is the like? First off, are there any acts who are who uh, are not welcome back? <laughs> <laughs> or excuse Ooh. me, their fans are not welcome Ooh, back. That's a good Is there question. anybody that's like that's just too rowdy for the Bijou or what is the, you know, what is just the craziest night yeah. or the what, like after it was over, you're like, how are we going to, I will never financially recover from this. I mean, I will say, I think generally speaking, the crowd's rowdy factor post pandemic has gone like tenfold up. Really? I mean, driving and crying last weekend, like you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't really think that things were going to get too wild. Was it on a weeknight? It was just Saturday. It was freaking okay. mayhem. It was crazy. It was really? bananas. <laughs> yes. They couldn't stay in their seats. They're yeah, out in the aisle. Yeah, out in the aisle, shaking their booties, having, <laughs> jumping on stage. It's like, control yourself, please. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to have fun, but safety. <laughs> um, so I would just say that, as, yeah, in general, I do think that people are really like feeling themselves out in public these so letting are, loose but um as far as like anyone who's like oh, blacklisted i don't want to name any names yeah i'm not asking you to tell tales I out will, of school i will say that we're you know the cornerstone of our mission as a nonprofit is to be a gathering and art space for any and all and we really are like intentionally trying to broaden the artistic scope of the shows that we're presenting. And we're kind of stepping outside of our comfort zone a little bit. Like um, we've got Boombox coming. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I've heard of Boombox. I'm I'm going to have to dig deep to. I think the last time I saw Boombox was at Royal Grotto. I don't, mm. I don't know if you if you remember those days. That was like my college I do. days. Yeah, yeah, I do remember Royal Grotto. So it's going to get real weird, real crunchy. That was but... a very crunchy room. <laughs> yes. And I believe uh I believe the crunch was encouraged. Yes, absolutely. By the uh by the leadership. Yes, and the, and like, you know, all the crystals guiding you to your to your crunch factor. Exactly. But um, yeah, I've already gotten an email from someone that's like, I saw that you have Boombox coming and I'm so excited. But I have to ask, like, I've never seen a show like Boombox in a room that has seats. How is that going to work? I like to dance. And when I say I like to dance, I mean, like, I love to dance. Mm. So where am I going to be able to dance? I'm like, that's, yeah, that's where we're going to you're That's gonna, gonna have to be, figure yeah. that out. Yeah, you're gonna have to figure that out. Have you been to the Capitol Theater in New York? I haven't. No. It's interesting. It's you know, I think Peter Shapiro is uh the guy that books that room. Okay. And he uh well, it's it's a little bigger than the Tennessee Theater. Okay. And it's like a kind of a grand entertainment ballroom, no seats. Oh. Like it's just floor. Yeah. And it's kind of wild because you look at the stage and you're like, Oh, I'm in a I'm I'm in a grand entertainment palace. Yeah. And then you look out in the crowd and you realize it's just standing room only with with like Gee. aisles. Yeah, it's just like they took the chairs out. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Huh. You know, um, I haven't seen this in real life, but I know that one one of the cutting edges of theater technology are hydraulic floors. And you can push a button and like your your seats flip to the basement. Oh, like a Chrysler Town and Country. Yes. <laughs> a convertible auditorium floor. You like press a button and you have a flat floor. You press a button and you have... I don't know how that works though because like if you're going to have good sight lines with seats, you have to have like a pretty steep grade. Yeah. Like the bees, you like, especially back in the day when we were kind of struggling to find our identity programmatically, like a lot of people are like, you need to just rip out the seats on the floor and just have seats in the balcony and then you can accommodate both. It's like this... 
the grade of the floor is too severe. You just you'd slide right on yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> like a penguin. I remember that about the cap the Capitol Theater too. Oh, is really? that it did there was a grade to it. Yeah. You could tell it used to have seats in it. And there was a grade to it. And I don't remember it being uncomfortable, but you weren't like slipping and sliding all the way down to the front of the stage. You'd run back up and do it all again. Maybe, but that might not have hill. been the theater's fault. <laughs> Fair. It was New Year's Eve. It was. Oh, you know. <laughs> okay. It all makes sense now. <laughs> well, uh, so have you been starstruck by oh, Nico Case? Oh, okay. Yes, and Gillian Welch. Those are like my yeah. two forever. I, I I try my heart like. Hey, I don't get to start talk too often, but like, you know, they say like, don't meet your idols. Yeah. I try my best not to go anywhere near backstage. Like, I don't think Nico Case or Gillian Welch are mean people. Actually, know for a fact that they're both very kind but and if gracious they people. Were, but I just, I can't take that chance. You can't. I cannot. It would be, it would devastate my entire life. Yeah. I yeah. get it. They do something to severely disappoint you. Yeah. The stakes hard. are too high. Exactly. It's not worth it. Yeah. Do you, it, it, are there pinch me moments where you're like, I'm dealing with, you know, artists that I love or artists that like, I'm actually not only am I, you know, dealing with artists who I admire and listen to and all that, but I'm also bringing that to other people. There have been a lot of pinch me moments. Um, I mean, Isabel, Mm. I want to harp on that too much, but God, that was so special. Mavis Staples. Oh, yeah. Bad. Oh, what a legend. Yeah. And what a gift to have her at the Bijou at this uh, juncture of her career. Um, some really awesome surprises, too, like that that Jeff has particularly brought to the table. Like Herb Alpert, I wasn't mm. familiar with him at all. Um, he was huge in like the, the 70s, like played Madison Square Gardens. Wow. Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Gosh, his his show was incredible. I've been listening to Herb Alpert nonstop since then. Wow. Isn't that great? Um, oh, amazing. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. There's this guy, PJ Morton, who played last August, who's in Maroon 5. Ah. He's the keyboardist, I believe, from Maroon 5. His show uh, was one of the most joyous, uplifting live performances I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And there are probably only like three or 400 people there. Wow. I think that almost made it more special. It was like the secret, you know? Mm. Um. Yeah. Are there any, like, do you ever do, like, guilty pleasure bookings? Like, do you ever book with your heart instead of your head? <laughs> um, Sometimes. It's, it's That usually leads, well. It's a risky yes. proposition, oh, I'm Oh, actually, sure. Shannon and the Clams. That I, shirt. Yeah. That was one of the best shows I've seen in the last year. She, the Bijou may have been a little bit of a stretch for her, mm. but the agent reached out and we couldn't resist putting an offer for that one. Um, the room was a little sparse, but everyone had the best time. She said repeatedly on stage and I think even on social media after the show that it was her most favorite show of her entire tour. Wow. You can kind of tell when someone, you know, is on a tour where they're playing these little clubs and there may not even be like backstage area or green room or showers. And then they, they walk into the beach and you can just see it in their eyes and their face. Like I get to play here. And that always just makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. Bad. Um, I'll never forget Angel when Angel Olsen played the Bijou for the first time. Like she walked onto the stage for her sound check and like her eyes got huge and like you could tell she was nervous. 
the bed. Yeah. And I was like, you're fine. You're going to be fine. She's like, are people going to come? And I was like, yes, people are coming. They love you. <laughs> they you're bought great. tickets. Yes, you're totally fine. You're going to be great. Um, so I always think that that's always kind of a fun moment when you're catching someone who's like popping and they're just not used to it yet. And you just see it in their in their face and in their performance, like just how like grateful and humbled they are to get to the bijou. But in, in but you know, like as a venue operator, as a promoter, a talent buyer, you're like, oh, you're not even halfway to where you're going. Like, really? You have, yeah. You just see so many folks come through. You can tell when there's yes. some. They got that star quality. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I heard Tyler s- Childers. Oh. Was a huge one. Brantley Gilbert. I don't know if you know. He's like, re- mm. like very mainstream country, but I'll never forget like when he first played the Bijou. And now he plays like arenas, like huge arenas. Mm. Like you could probably sell at Bridgestone. I've heard like I've 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 heard about like yeah Tyler Childers playing the jig and reel. Right. I actually remember yeah. that. Yeah. And I remember trying to get a ticket and not. Uh, but I remember hearing stories about yeah I mentioned Margot Price like mm-hmm. playing the pilot light mm-hmm. and then playing the Bijou next time. Yeah. And then you know now it's I guess the rest is history with her. But same with. With Sturgill, were you there to see any of those, like any of those artists? Yes. So Sturgill, I was at that show. I was at in the AC office, so I hadn't moved over to the Bijou full time. Um, Chris Stapleton, that was at the Bijou for. Did you know it was there with both of those guys when you saw him? Yeah. Okay. Well, Tyler Tyler Childers, he sometimes you get really lucky. And you book a show like eight months in advance and they before they pop. Well, they pop in between you booking the show and the show playing off. Mm -hmm. So you know at the show what a huge get you have. Mm -hmm. Um and like people are just buzzing around town about it. Um I feel like Orville Peck is like that for the mill and mine right now. I'm so excited that they got that show and They'll get to see it, Knoxville. I've been talking to Rhett about that. Oh and my gosh. It sounds like it's. Uh, I know. Uh, like uh, uh, maybe the biggest, maybe the biggest moment that room's had. People I haven't spoken to in years are texting me like, and the presale is not tickets? until Thursday. Yeah, can you can you get me tickets? And I'm like, I'm trying to get myself tickets. Look, it's everyone for themselves at this point. So yeah, that place is gonna be packed to the gills. It's gonna be so much fun. Have you ever had to add nights before? Add nights, oh. yeah. Um, so usually, an artist sells out too fast, or yeah, usually not too unexpectedly. You mm. Usually prepare for like a lot of the times you're like second night added due to popular demand. Like they already had that night booked, mm-hmm. and they were just waiting to make sure the first night went first. Um, but sometimes that does organically happen. Sometimes you really are legitimately surprised. Um, in Nashville, when we were booking Exit In and uh, Marathon Music Works, and then there was um, Track Twenty Nine in Chattanooga and Twelfth and Porter. Neither, they had, Uh-oh. They had a littler. They had a littler. It was the same owners of both. Like Exit In and Marathon Music Works were the same owners. So sometimes you would put a show in Exit In and it would just blow out. And But then you would just move it to uh, Marathon Music Works. Because it was bigger. Yeah, yeah, bigger and the same owner. Yeah. We've actually, we've actually had that happen at the Bijou in the Tennessee. John Mulaney was confirmed at the Bijou and just like unexpectedly blew out within the first hour. And wow. we ended up moving that to the Tennessee. I remember when... Uh, this must have been ten or fifteen years ago. Dave Chappelle at, oh, the, yeah. at the Tennessee Theater. At the, yeah, I was at the first show. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> thank but goodness. that was like that was a, maybe the hardest ticket I've ever gotten yeah. a hold of, and then added another show. Uh, and, and they they knew that they did. I'm, yeah, yeah. 
Sorry. So he added, a, a, I guess, a later show. The right. first one. I got tickets to the 7.30 show. I think there was yeah. like a 9.30 show or something. Well, maybe they did. If it was the same I day. I bet they did. They probably did. Yeah. Those bastards. St- stand-up is perfect for that. You right. can do it in the same night and not yes. even change your travel plans. Oh make gosh. twice as much money. If I but, could, I'd have comedians like every day of the week. Really? Yeah. Just a microphone? Right. Exactly. So easy. They, yeah. they come in. Like sometimes they don't even come in until after doors are open. Really? Yeah. I mean, what do they have to do? Nothing. They're... <laughs> Set. Yes, That's it. Walk on. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I'm sure they're all a mess, every single one of them. <laughs> you have to be. But that Dave Chappelle situation, it was like the 7.30 show happened, and I, and we left, and it was great. And we and it, a lot of that stuff ended up in his ne- in his first Netflix special. Mm. But when we, when we were walking out of that show, everybody was lined up just all the way around the Tennessee Theater, all the way down uh, – Union or whatever street it is. Oh yeah, uh, Clinch. Clinch. Yeah, and people were just. I mean, I just everybody I looked at looked like they were about to fall down drunk. Like it did not surprise <laughs> oh, me no. that that show only lasted fifteen minutes yeah. before he, bef- before he ended it. But I, I, I do like that. Uh, I do like that idea of like, man, it's got to be a cushy gig to have the stand up, the stand up oh, thing happening because. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure load in and load out and backline stuff has got to be just a a big part of the logistic right. nature. Of, and, can, and that's of, what makes your day long. Yeah. I mean, I would say the average show day is probably 10 to 12 hours, if not really? 14. Yeah. And the show doesn't start till 8 o'clock at right. night, right? Yeah, and, and you're usually getting at like 10 a.m. Load in's usually. Well, because yeah. they also probably, they're on a bus, you know. They want to poop. They yeah. want to shower. They want to eat. They want to have coffee. It's mostly poop. Yeah. <laughs> no one wants pooping on the bus. So it's probably not allowed. No. So like venue access is usually really early. Yeah. Like eight AM. They're 7 dying to get yeah. in. Yeah. Do you have you ever had a, a a moment where you've uh like spent a day with any of these guys that are like, Hey, will you show us around or what's good to do around here? And you get to kind of spend some time with yeah. somebody who you've kind of maybe followed as an artist or somebody so, that you're kind of I can't believe I'm hanging out with this person <laughs> well we'll usually have what's called a runner so if it's someone that wants like ground transportation around town or if they want to get out and about like we'll bring on someone that with a car <laughs> to mm. to kind of escort them or, and like get get all their hospitality rider needs fulfilled and set up yeah. backstage and run any errands for them but you know Actually, with comedians, I usually would do that myself. And a lot of comedians aren't on a bus. They're flying from city to city because it's just them. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget picking up Kevin Smith. Oh, wow. From the airport. Do you smoke weed in your car? So. Because <laughs> that dude funny. smokes as I know. much weed as I've ever seen. He really does. So, like, um, in his rider, it was like. He he wanted you, we had booked a hotel for him too, and he wanted a smoking room. Yeah, and I knew that he smoked cigarettes, or had as far as I knew, he still smoked cigarettes. So when he was in my car and we were driving back to Knoxville from the airport, I was like, you know, feel free to smoke in here if you want to. Like I really don't mind. And he just like looked at me, cross-eyed, and he was like, you always let people do drugs in your car. And I was like, oh, I meant, I meant cigarettes. <laughs> I mean, sorry, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> But yeah, he was like, it was kind of funny about it. Um, he, <laughs> so he got all sanctimonious yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, he did. I was like, well, sorry, I'm trying to be accommodating, no sir. pothead. Yeah, but um, so he and I kind of wondered about that too. Like he didn't ask me for weed, 
and you know like if he's flying you I don't think much was legal at that time, like even in California. Um, so I, was, I had wondered about that, but I didn't dare ask him at that point. Sure. And then the next day, or no, later that day, I had to pick him up from the hotel to take him to the Bijou to do his show. And his rider was weird. It was like milk and cashews. That was all he wanted. Really? Stuffed. Yeah. And I even asked him, like, what happened to the hotel? I was like, do you want me to pick up dinner for you or anything? Or do you want anything at the hotel? He's like, no, I don't eat before shows. And I was like, okay. Um, so I came and got him and like, he was like 20 minutes late coming downstairs. Probably shouldn't be divulging all this. So that's okay. It's just us, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so we were like late to the show. He did the show and then left without his milk or cashews and just went back to his hotel room. And I was like, damn, like, what's he doing in there? How is he feeding himself? And then the next morning I had to pick him up for the, to go back to the airport. And he was like 40 minutes late. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't want to like blow up Kevin Smith's cell phone and like and like almost called the front desk to be like, can you go like check on him? <laughs> He's gonna miss his flight. But um, he came down eventually, got him to the airport, and then as he was leaving, he was like, "You smoke weed?" And I was like, "Sometimes." <laughs> <laughs> and he just like threw this like um, canister at me, which I now know is like was a giant like hog leg of a pre roll, ah. which I had never seen a pre roll before. My mind was blown. Mm. But so you think he traveled with that from California? I think he had it shipped. I think he had someone ship it to each hotel, and then he and he got rid of it right at the airport. Gave it to me because he couldn't fly with it. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You get resourceful when you got a nice drug (laughs) habit. You know. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's just weed. Yeah, it's probably fine. It's fine. Yeah, it'll be legal here. As soon as it's legal everywhere else. Uh, well, let's see. We we were doing this math earlier. So if it's legal in California, it'll take Knoxville uh, 20 years? Yeah. Uh, 97 was uh, medical in oh, okay. California. Okay. So, so so by that math, we're six years late. Yeah. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> it sure would make your job a lot easier. It I'm sure, sure would. It would just make life easier in general. Well, I'm, I have a lot of hope for Virginia. Oh yeah, isn't it recreational? I know Virginia? it passed, but like it's it's going through like a bunch of red tape, and I think it's gonna take a couple of years before you can just like walk in somewhere and buy it. I don't know. I'm yeah. actually going to Nico Case in Bristol next Friday, and I'm gonna check that out. I'll report back. I'll let you know. It might be like fireworks stands that are on the <laughs> county line. Exactly. They'll probably just yeah. like. Although I don't know what this Delta. I, I I'm told that Delta Eight is pretty much the same thing. I don't like it. I haven't tried it. It's, I it's refuse weird. to believe that it could be the same thing. If it were, then weed would be extinct. Right. Like exactly the real stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I bought some at a gas station one time in uh, in Kentucky. Oh. And was like it at a, Bucky's? It was not at Bucky's. <laughs> I don't think Bucky's is in the cannabis game. <laughs> they're they're missing out. <laughs> they really are. Brisket now. They got brisket. <laughs> they got the brisket. Uh, but I. Uh, yeah, I got like a little vaporizer pen. It was expensive. It was like, you know, 15 bucks for the pen and like yeah. 50 bucks for the cartridge or something. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd ever smoked Delta 8. And I was like, I am like, I'm legitimately paranoid <laughs> and I don't feel good right now. <laughs> I am straight up not having fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not having any fun at all. Oh, Get me out of this vehicle, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so so surely i mean they're popping up everywhere and you would you would think that like all of these shops that are doing this would are doing it with the assumption that it will become legal yeah 
And right, it's like a preparatory. Yeah, it's like move. they want to be ready when it exactly. But they've got to be taking a total bath on yeah. on overhead and all that for years and years. Yeah, that waiting on this to happen. Well, so what is the craziest thing, either in a rider or oh. uh, just word of mouth that has been requested? <gasps> oh shoot, am I? Oh, I, I think it was Tyler Childers. He, I'm like 95%, sure, oh, sorry, I'm okay. 95% sure it was Tyler Childers and his rider wanted fried Snickers bars and a topless picture of B. Arthur. And, That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And do people so, fuck with you in the, in the riders? So is I that, think, is that... I think that was a fucking, fucking with you move. They sort of like wanted to see if you're actually going to read it. Yeah. So we actually got Martha to freeze and fry Snickers bars for him. Oh, at the, at the bistro next yes. door. And our event manager at the time, Ash actually got someone to create a topless photo of B. Arthur. Mm. We had it posted to the fridge. As soon as you walked into the green room, like her, like big booze bosoms, you know, arms out, and it said, "Welcome to the Bijou, boys." They said nothing. Really? Not even a cackle. What? We were so disappointed. Yeah. I wonder if it was even him, or if it was just some. You know, I'm his, sure it was like his, his tour, manager. Ma- yeah. tour manager. Yeah, just... I was just like, "Who's actually going to read this?" Yeah, as a test. Man. Yeah. What a bum. I mean, you know, if if. If I'm Tyler Childers and you had d- executed that, <laughs> no, that for me, I would have walked in, looked at the refrigerator, taken a bite of my fried <laughs> Snickers bar, said, "It's good to be the king," <laughs> and then I would have said thank you right yes, after that. Like, at least a thank you, yeah, some kind of acknowledgement. Yeah, shout out from stage would be nice. Yeah, these guys, these guys have a freaking topless picture of B. Arthur <laughs> back here for me. God, we should have saved that and like auctioned it off or something. Yeah. Are there are there any that you just couldn't uh, legally fulfill or mm. or supp- no. supply issues? Those like, those usually don't go in writing. I, yeah, <laughs> I bet. Yeah, <laughs> but I bet there's a guy walking around somewhere. You could ask him. <laughs> he might be outside the door next to the parking lot. Yeah, line. exactly. Uh, be, be in this alley in fifteen minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, any uh, any big shows coming up or anything? Uh, any big news? Ooh, hopefully some big news soon. We did, but we did um, are going after a white whale right now. That offer went in today, and I'm really hoping that we're going to get a so positive. Are you? Um, is this a, a an offer that you put in, and you'll find out tomorrow? Do you find out in Maybe. a week? Maybe it's in April. Potentially. Oh wow! So, so they, that's got, they soon. got to move quickly. Okay. Yeah. And I and people will know who this artist is. I think so. And they will like they'll see. know who I'm talking about if they hear this podcast and then they see the confirmation. They'll be like, "Oh, that's who Courtney was talking about." So if, yeah. So if, yeah. If we I think so. Put this podcast out on Friday. Yeah. Then it might coincide with this uh, mystery. Yeah. I'm this like mystery. I'm putting it out there. I'm trying to manifest this into being a reality. What would keep it from happening? They go to another venue. And I'm sure there's proximity clauses yeah. with these guys. There's that. It's like this this particular gals. artist is looking for um, a warm up show before they go into a festival. 
And it's between us and one other market. And we actually have another confirmed but unannounced and un- not on sale show on the date they need. We're actually trying to move that show at the same time. There are a lot of moving pieces. Wow. And a lot of powers that need to come to be to make this happen. But I'm really hoping it's looking good. Okay. It's looking good on our end. Now we just need them to want to do it. So how, how, like, how what's the mechanics of making an offer to an artist or like is their agent trying to sell them to you as far as how what their following is how much they're going to bring in are they being honest about that or um if it's an artist that's on the way up and they are are reaching then yes they're selling they're pushing if it's like not a well-known person and they absolutely are dishonest (laughs) about Mm. ticket sale history and so will you then but make also, them yeah. put some skin in the game in no. that situation? Well, to where it's like I, they get tic- they get part of ticket sales or yes. So yes, that's that's a fair way to put it. So we have different deal structures, and if it's someone that like you really want to get to play your venue, you're you're going to guarantee them a lot of money. Hmm. So whether they sell five tickets or 750 tickets, you are on the hook for this amount of money that you promised them. Mm-hmm. And then there are other deals where you, yeah, you structure like, okay, you're going to get 60% or 70% or 80% of the ticket sales, but you're not going to like, they're going to get paid that money before you cover your expenses. So it's still a little bit of a gamble for you, but you're not on the hook for a large sum of money that you don't know you're going to make in sales. If that makes sense. I assume that the more a, a band's following spins at the bar, the more attractive yeah. of a talent buy they are too. Yeah. So that I'm sure that goes that into consideration. In. Yeah, it does. Okay. It does. So is that a metric that that they that they measure, or is it just like anecdotal knowledge that it's so it's not buyers have? So like, uh, it's something we keep in mind when making offers, but it doesn't get factored into the deal structure. If that makes sense, it's kind of like gotcha. same with like merchandise. Like sometimes merchandise far exceeds bar sales. Really? For an artist, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And do you and you guys get part of the merchandise sales? We have a very small split. Okay. Yeah. So that's part of the deal too. Yeah. And then what are the so so you said that like proximity will be a re, or they might get multiple offers for mm-hmm. uh, markets that are close to each other and they'll right. just take the best one. Yeah, they'll just take the best one. Whatever speaks to them. Whoever's well, a who are probably whoever's offering the most money. And you never know what if someone else is offering. So you gotta. It's it's, wow, a, it's so there's an art to it for it's sure. Bi- I mean, it's a bid process without yeah. knowing your competition, or well, without knowing what you're. Yeah. You're blind bidding. Um, it's kind of like putting an offer in on a house, but like you know how like in the house buying process, they might come back to you and be like, oh, well, they have an offer for this. Can you meet it? Can you meet that? You don't always get yeah. that meeting opportunity. You don't. You got you got to like. Whatever, whatever your best offer that you're putting in, like that's gonna make the impression where, like, does this person actually really want me to play in their room or not? Like, do they actually believe in me? But then I always feel like, you know, the art. So you you give them a set guarantee, but there's usually a back end to it. Like, okay, we're guaranteeing you this amount of money plus, um, you know, eighty five percent of the ticket sales after your guarantee and all the venue expenses are covered. Hmm. So like, you might guarantee someone. 10 grand but if they sell it out they're actually going to take home like 18 grand right so there's always that that back-end potential too so the artists are kind of like betting on themselves as well 
it seems like a healthy marketplace. Yeah, it is. It seems like it's, it's very, fair um, and yeah. yeah. Well, uh, have we have we had any like uh, uh, gross omissions of anything that happens Let's at see, the? We covered the ghosts. That was the most important thing. I was excited to hear about your uh, just the artists you've come into contact with yeah. too. I mean, at the end of the day, like that's I love a lot of things about the beach. I, I really am in love with the history, and um, you know, it's just it's an honor to be a part of this venue's a chapter in this venue's long story. But at the end of the day, like I just have such a deep passion for music and like programming the venue and bringing artists to Knoxville is like really what keeps my passion burning and like not even just the bijou like it just makes me so happy to see artists coming to knoxville in general like, i can't tell you how annoyed i am when i have to go to nashville or Asheville or atlanta or charlotte to see an artist it's like why can't you just come to knoxville and i think that that i think that the what's the right word like the 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 depth of of music offerings in this town is and the Growing. texture, maybe yeah. too. Lots of different types yeah. of yeah. It's having a really well-established quilt. It, it is <laughs> lots of squares. And I think we have your your former employer, uh, AC Entertainment, to thank a lot for yeah. oh, putting percent putting Knoxville on, as well positioned as we are in the southeast to be a day from everywhere. A great place to warm up for Nashville, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Charlotte. Yeah. Like it's just we're right in the way. Yeah. You'd be yeah, crazy exactly. not to stop here and make some money. Exactly. You know? Come make some money here. Come on, y'all. That'd <laughs> well, be great. I am. Uh, I'm thrilled to meet you. I've me heard too. so many great things. Thank and you. I'm glad to see it for myself yeah. and hear it for myself. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a true honor and a pleasure. Good. Well, maybe we can do it again sometime I'd down love the road. To. All yeah, right. Absolutely. Good luck. Take care. Thank we'll you. We'll check on uh, Friday and see uh, see what the white whale was. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Fingers okay. crossed. Mm, bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.